Welcome back to Uprising. I'm Sonali Kohatkar. The Northwest Frontier Province is a name that began being bandied about in the Western media after the September 11th attacks. It is a mysterious region in the rugged mountainous border between Afghanistan and Pakistan, where tribal communities rule themselves and into which extremist groups like Al-Qaeda and the Taliban move in and out, taking advantage of favorable social and political conditions. It's an area that the U.S. has repeatedly bombed with drones and that the the Pakistani army has also laid siege to. It's also an area that provides a troubled backdrop to a new novel by Fatima Bhutto, the talented journalist and author whose earlier book is Songs of Blood and Sword. Bhutto is also a poet and a political columnist. She happens to be the niece of the assassinated former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto and the granddaughter of former Prime Minister Zulfikar Ali Bhutto. Her new book is called The Shadow of the Crescent Moon, a novel about three brothers living in the town of Mir Ali in Waziristan, northwest Pakistan, who have differing aspirations for their future. The Financial Times called it, quote, a human story with love as well as ideology. I'm very pleased to welcome Fatima Bhutto to Uprising live from Karachi. Welcome. Thank you. Now, we had you on our show in 2010 about your earlier book, Songs of uh, Blood and Sword. So it's great to have you back on with your new book. And I uh, very much enjoyed reading uh, your book. In the U.S., people uh, don't really have much context for what life in a place like Mir Ali is like. And and also, it's very much uh, unknown here in the United States, even though our tax dollars have uh, bombed the areas around that. Is your book an attempt to humanize? a place that really ought to occupy some uh, commentary and some uh, time in uh, particularly the U.S. consciousness. Yes, that's right. It's it's not just the U.S., it's all over the world. Whenever you look at Pakistan, you only see it as a news story, as a headline, and that headline is terrifying and, and violent. Um, but we always seem to miss the, the, the people, the ordinary men and women behind those stories. And especially the women. Um, so Shadow of the Crescent Moon was important for me to do because I wanted to talk about what it's like for young people, what it's like for young women and young men in their 20s and their 30s in a place like Pakistan and actually how so much more connects them to the world than disconnects them. Well, Fatima, why has Mir Ali uh, had the kind of history and politics that has thrust it into uh, the midst of war? Is this just a matter of geography? Well, one could say the, the same about Pakistan itself. Uh, you know, Pakistan's in an incredible position. It shares borders with Afghanistan, with Iran, um, with India. And we are in a very strategically well, fortuitous or unfortunate position, depending on how you look at it. Mirali is in the tribal regions, as you mentioned, um, near the border with Afghanistan. So, of course, it's become the center of the drone war, um, of the war on terror, of Pakistan's military strikes, and a part of the country that was always, you know, semi-autonomous, that always viewed itself very independently suddenly felt the weight of the world upon it. And why did that happen? Explain uh, what the sentiments inside a place like Mir Ali have been. Of course, it's not homogeneous, and that's why the three main characters in your book have differing aspirations. But in general, um, there has been an insurgency in Mir Ali that has pitted it against not just the Pakistani army, but the United States. Yes, um, and you see this again throughout the country, but in the tribal regions, you have people who have um, a very fierce loyalty to their ethnicity, to their language, to their history, 
um, and to be not just pushed into the, the Pakistani mainstream is a problem, but then to be pushed into this humongous narrative of the war on terror is another problem. Because of its proximity to Afghanistan, because we have, a, I mean, politely put, a porous border, um, a, lot of, a lot of the attention is focused on the tribal regions. But there are families there, there are children there, and we've seen also, as the drone wars and their amazing illegality really gets discussed more and more. We have accounts from children saying we're afraid to sleep at night because we can't hear the drones until they bomb us. So we live what we imagine is an ordinary day until suddenly it's over. Now, the uh, oldest of the three brothers who are your sort of three protagonists in your book, uh, Aman Iram, uh, he just wants to get out of there. He wants to escape um, and joins the many would-be migrants uh, from Pakistan who want to find a better life by emigrating to the West. How typical is his story? It's pretty typical, actually. Amani Room is an intelligent, ambitious young person who is tired of having um, a border put around him. He's tired of not getting the jobs he wants. He's tired of not being connected by a good internet. He wants things. Um, and he's, he's no longer going to let his country or his nationality stop him from that. And in a way, it's very common because we have a lot of young Pakistanis migrating abroad, as you said. But understandably, more and more, because how do you convince someone to stay in a country where even survival is questionable? Then there's the second brother, Sekandar, who's a doctor working in terribly poor conditions inside Mir Ali, one of the main characters in your book, struggling with a wife who has uh, suddenly developed mental illness. He's just trying to keep his head yeah. above water. Who does he represent? Well, I think when you live in a dangerous country or in a dangerous environment like Pakistan, there's no question of being afraid. There's no time to be afraid. You have to survive. You have to keep going. But of course, it's frightening. Um, it's, it, and it does become an ordinary way of life to get used to things like terrorist threats, like bombings, like shootings. But Sikandar I, I identified with and understood because, of course, it's not normal. Of course, it invades your dreams. It invades your waking hours. And it distorts how you see the world. Mm-hmm. And then there's the youngest brother, Hayat, an ideologue who's moved by the oppression that he uh, sees around him of his you know, fellow residents and wants to fight for their freedom. Uh, he, you want, one might imagine that he might represent the most sort of uh, stereotyped of people in Mir Ali. Uh, but uh, through reading your book, of course, there's complexity that we don't get through our media reports here. Tell us a little bit about this character, Hayat. Well, Pakistan has become a country of sacrifices, and it demands a sacrifice from everyone now. It's no longer an option. So the question is, what will you sacrifice? Will you sacrifice your freedom or or your comfort? Um, Will you sacrifice a loyalty or a fidelity to an idea or a cause or a people? Um, What do you give up? Because this is a country now where Blood, blood demands blood, um, where violence is met by more violence. And I think Hayat personifies um, this horrible choice that's, that's, that's forced on its people. What do you give up in order to keep going, in order to survive, in order to make something? Um, what are you going to be forced 
to hand over. There's also a very strong female character in your book, Samara, who is a complex character herself. Uh, she, in the beginning of the book, has fallen in love with the oldest brother. And she's certainly not the ca caricature of uh, the helpless Muslim woman that we get here in the West. Tell us a little bit about this character and what, uh, what you infused with her, in, into her, rather. Well, for me, this is, a, this is a novel about women. The Shadow of the Crescent Moon, for me, is about the amazing bravery and complexity of Pakistani women. Again, if you're looking at the media, the mainstream media, um, you see only one kind of Pakistani woman. She's frightened, she's very small, she's neither seen nor heard, um, and she's really relegated to the fringes. But of course, if you come to Pakistan or India or Bangladesh or Sri Lanka or Afghanistan or any of these countries, what you'll notice is that women like that don't exist. They are at the very epicenter of the turbulence and violence that this part of the world faces. But in order to live here as a woman, you have to fight. You become, um, you become a war, you become warriors. And and Samara and Mina, the other female right. character in the book, um, are the very kind of Pakistani women I've always known. They're the kind I see every day, not just in Karachi, but across the country. And they're women who. Though it's easier to say no, and though it's easier to just stay quiet, don't. They fight for what it is that they believe is right and, um, and suffer the consequences, in fact. Now, uh, it's it's interesting to look at this area in uh, the northwest frontier province from the outside, seeing it as Pakistan. But really, within Pakistan, this is an area that's in a it's a tribal region. There's a semi-autonomous rule. The Pakistani government has limited authority. Um, it is in a very mountainous area or it's rural. But what about the urban centers of Pakistan, such as in Karachi, where you are, or Islamabad? Are Pakistanis uh, aware of the reality of life in places like Mir Ali. I mean, I know Pakistan is a very vibrant press, so one mm -hmm. might imagine that there's a good amount of reporting that takes place. Well, I mean, not really, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I think you see the same kind of thing. Karachiites are concerned with Karachi. They're concerned with their province. Um, people in Lahore are concerned with the Punjab. And because this is an enormous country, um, you know, we have almost 200 million people in Pakistan, um, it's difficult really to stay abreast of everything. But as, as the news and as the, you know, things like drones and the army's own attacks um, on the northern areas increase, people have become more and more familiar with this part of the country. And uh, in terms of uh, writing this book, and I'd like to ask you about your process of putting this together. Did you spend time in Mirali itself to do research for your book? Are, you, are the, the people you met, uh, did they give you a basis for the composites that your characters eventually became? Well, not in Mirali specifically, but when I was working as a journalist many, many moons ago, uh, I traveled a lot to the northern areas in Pakistan. And I used to have a column, and so, you know, you file a thousand words a week. And so much got left out of that, because, of course, you can't, you can't describe every interaction and every small intimacy or moment you share with people. And those things stayed with me, and, and they bothered me, and they disturbed me. And when I sat down to write, um, those were the sort of things that came out, oddly enough. 
Now, the uh, the situation in the United States with respect to how our government has carried on a an illegal drone uh, war, um, it's very it's very sad that most Americans would not be able to point Waziristan um, in the northwest frontier province on a, on a world map. Um, how important is it for us to humanize the people who live there? Um, you know, on the one hand, we're just assume that there might all be these um, homogeneous genius jihadis uh, who inexplicably hate the West. And obviously a book like yours, uh, even a fiction book, um, can uh, create the very necessary complexity to humanize them. How important is it for Americans to humanize them? Oh, it's enormously important because drones, by their very design, dehumanize life. The very purpose of a drone um, is that you don't have to traumatize a soldier who doesn't have to put on combat gear. He doesn't have to walk on the ground and look into the faces of the people who he's fighting. Um, you know, he sits in a very removed room somewhere in Nevada and presses buttons and works with controls, much like a video game. Um, so the very design of drones is to separate, you know, the killer from the killed. Um, it is to separate um, the violence that's being enacted. So I think it's, it's, it's very important to humanize them. And, and also to know that, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, when people started talking about drones, it was only in relation to countries like Pakistan. But, you know, now it's Yemen, now it's other countries. And we're just seeing such an amazing increase in the use of drones with, with every mom. Yeah. And the other aspect that your book covers is how children have become such a victims of so many of these forces of violence. And I think uh, until uh, Malala Yousafzai came around and her story uh, became so popular in the West, people really had no idea how children are traumatized, victimized, and targeted, but not just by the Taliban, right? By the Pakistani army, by U.S. drones. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, um, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Malala because it was Malala's uh, blog for the BBC um, that really gave, that really brought that home for so many of us because she didn't just talk about the Taliban attacking schools. She also spoke about the fear um, at hearing, you know, helicopters, at hearing, you know, um, the gunfire of your, your, your own country's army. Um, and, and of course, it's, it, it's propelled Malala um, to great heights. But there are so, so many Malalas in Pakistan still today. She's been very good, actually, at, at keeping this in people's minds. Um, but it, it continues. There were even um, hearings a couple months ago, weren't there, in the States, where, where young children testified about what it's like to live under drones. And it's, it's heartbreaking to hear. Yeah. And Fatima, uh, in Pakistan itself, the Pakistani army's responsibility and role in all of this, and the government's role in all of this is also very much a part of the equation. And Pakistan has had a turbulent political history. Your own family has been very much involved in the political history. And recently, of course, people heard of the horrific attack on the school in Peshawar uh, in December where scores of children died. And Pakistan brought back the death penalty in response to that. And just as the U.S. tends to respond to violence with the violence, has Pakistan uh, gone in that same direction? Absolutely. And, you know, at present, Pakistan is the second largest death row uh, population in the world after China. There's something close to 8,500 people on death row in this country and 1,000 who have exhausted their appeals. Um, 44 of those are women. Um, and what Pakistan has done in response to those horrible attacks in Peshawar um, last December is to reinstate the death penalty 
Um, they've executed just about almost 50. I mean, I think it was it was supposed to be 40 people last week, in, in you know, mm-hmm. uh, seven days ago. Um, there was another 30 added to that. Um, almost as though, as some have said, they're trying to fill a quota. I think it's it's a moral catastrophe for Pakistan because in the face of violence, um, to 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 return to a knee-jerk call for vengeance and for blood, that's ex- extremely worrying. Finally, Fatima, are you going to uh, follow this current novel in the shadow of the crescent moon with another one? Are you uh, are you exploring your fiction writing career over the journalist career? <laughs> Yes, very much so, actually. I don't really think of myself as a journalist anymore at all. I would love, love to write more fiction coming up. Well, I want to wish you the best of luck and encourage our audience to pick up a copy of the book. It's, it's really great. I've been enjoying reading it. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My guest has been Fatima Bhutto, former journalist, poet, writer, author of a number of books, including Songs of Blood and Sword. Her latest book, which we've been discussing, is The Shadow of the Crescent Moon, a novel that is set in Mir Ali in the northwest frontier province in the border region between Pakistan and Afghanistan. She also, Fatima Bhutto also happens to be the niece of the assassinated former Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto and the granddaughter of former Prime Minister Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto.